Hello and thanks for joining us for another episode of the Alternative London Podcast. I'm your host, Gary Means. In this episode, I sit down with artist, entrepreneur and podcaster David Speed. I'd been thinking about doing a podcast for a bit and I bumped into David when he was painting in Shoreditch and I mentioned it and he was so encouraging. He said, get it started and I'll come on. He did and this is it. We talk about the journey that brought him to his amazing, unique neon style and how to be a podcaster, as well as how he narrowly avoided becoming a primary school teacher. So here it is, episode three with the amazing David Speed. Thanks so much for coming and doing this. Thank you for having me, man. I'm really glad that you're you're getting into the podcast space. It's, uh, it's not, I do a podcast every week, and it has fundamentally changed my life. It's um, I think the it's so rare that we get an excuse to just chat to people that we want to mm-hmm. have a conversation with with no like no phones out on the table. It's like just you and the other person asking them whatever whatever you want to know. Like, when do you get that opportunity? Oh, and wow. I, and I think as well, it's like. If I think of some of the guests that I've had on my show, like just just phenomenal minds. Like I've spoken to Seth Godin, which uh, who's a hero of mine, like amazing writer, incredible person. Like I've learned any anything that I know about business, I've learned from Seth Godin. Mm-hmm. And if I message Seth Godin and say, "Can I call you up, mate, and have a chat for an hour?" I mean that no, you can't. But when you say, "Can I phone you up, have a chat for an hour, and we'll record it and put it out as a podcast," it, then it's a yes. Yeah. So you get access to all of these incredible brains to chat to them about anything interesting for an hour, and that's just that's just fun. I love I, I love podcasting, and I just think we we chatted about this when I bumped into you in the street about you were thinking of getting into podcasting, and I just think for for what you do, it's I think it's just so valuable. I think it's a great space for you to be in. Thanks, man. You were like a catalyst actually i think sometimes you just need someone to say yeah that's a really good idea go and do it yeah and you were that guy we all need that though don't we i think i think the that's a lot of what my podcast is about is getting over that hump of of actually doing because you can plan forever and you can read every business book and and positive motivation book and all of that sort of stuff you can watch one of those videos on youtube that get you really riled up because they know exactly what music to place underneath it to cause that emotion in you and you go yeah i'm gonna fucking take over the world but then for some reason 99 percent of people don't actually do no it's true and i think the last couple of years with all the lockdowns and stuff running the kind of business that we run it was it was really tough and you have these ideas that oh we're gonna have another lockdown i'm i'm gonna write my book, I'm going to start my podcast, but you just don't have them. I didn't have the mental capacity to, to start something new, really. I was just sort of dealing with what was already going on and I found it so tough. But now I feel like I'm in a really kind of uh, refreshed space after all of that. I feel like, um, yeah, there was a lot of suffering, but I've come out of it a lot better, I've come out of it a lot, a lot lighter, I think. I think so many people have had that experience of, obviously, I mean, pandemic talk, is, it's been done to death and everyone's bashed it over the head, but really what no one I think really talks about is like how much positive that's come from mm-hmm. it. I've just, so many people have had a little bit more time. Even if you're working your full job, but you're not doing the commute anymore, that gives you two hours either side of the day to just reflect and think about how you're spending your time and, and what it is that you love and what you want to be doing. And I think that's been really positive that there's so much cool shit that's come out of us being I think restrictions so often can bring around amazing creativity, can't it? And, yeah, for and sure. that's, I think that's definitely been the case with the lockdowns. Yeah. 
And for you, painting as well, like it's um, gone to a different level, hasn't it? Like with you. Yeah, I mean, so again, it was it was totally lockdown. I mean, I've I've been a commercial artist for the last ten years, and I mean, yeah, painting with my company, Graffiti Life, doing your, your sort of your advertising murals and all of that sort of stuff. And through a weird sort of serendipity, I was working on a job in Holland in early 2020 with a bunch of different artists um, painting on barges over there, like these huge barges. Really fun job, like scaffolds hanging over the side of these like massive boats, painting the side of those. And I was with a few different artists, but namely 45 RPM, BRK, and Jamie, Jamie Crooks. And they basically, I had a come to Jesus meeting. They sat me down and they were like, you don't do any of your own stuff anymore. Because from 2000 to 2010, I was sort of fairly active and I painted quite a lot and I loved it. And then we started the business because there were really no opportunities for, for graffiti writers back then. There was no sort of opportunities for artists and creatives. So we tried like going around galleries with our portfolios and it was just, it was a flat no, unless you were a famous name. So we were like, well, let's start something where artists can create work and pay their rent. And for, for the last 10 years, that's what I've done. Like well, a lot of my, a lot of my sort of best friends have been able to pay their rent through us doing a, a mural for Nike or Burberry or whoever it might be. And I enjoyed that work and I enjoyed creating those opportunities and I enjoyed growing a business and everything that goes into that. But these guys were right. Like I wasn't painting for myself anymore. It was like I was doing it for jobs. And when you do what you love for a job, it's kind of, it's quite hard to, and especially when you're, there's some projects where we've had creative control and that those are, those are great. You you really enjoy those. But a lot of times it's like, here's the Pantone. This is what we want. And there's no creativity in that. And although I am doing the thing that I love, it's painting. I'm not, I'm not really flexing any sort of creative yeah. muscle. Yeah. So these guys sat me down, they were like, make some more work again. I was like, yeah, you're probably right. So, and it's funny, you can go back through my Instagram and you can plot this, you can see it happen. So I think January I did one neon painting and then in February I did two. Um, and so in February, I happened to be on the roof of my studio, hear someone shouting at me, which I mean, when you're a painter, like you hear that a lot. So I ignored it for a bit. The shouting continues. I look round, see this geezer with like a film crew around him and I was like I looked at I was like I think that's Goldie and it fucking was Goldie <laughs> and I was like I was like wait there ran quickly ran down off the roof of my studio ran down um getting big hug from Goldie who I've never met with BBC cameras in my face like so such a surreal experience I, and at this point I've got like no following on social media anything like that and Goldie goes I'd like to commission you to do five paintings for my gallery in Thailand Aram Gallery and I was like for, uh, yeah okay Mr Goldie that sounds good like let's definitely do that my fucking hero so and then it's just this mad timing thing of that was February by March we're in a lockdown I all of our commercial work disappeared I just started getting up to go to work which was basically to paint these these canvases for Goldie once I'd done those five then I was like well I've been enjoying this let's just keep this going and then that's when I started the the whole sort of little street art thing that I've been doing recently and, and went with that. And Amazing. yeah, here we are. And again, that goes back to what we were saying about the lockdown sort of changing, like making people realise. And it, it took that for me to to realise, no, I do actually love painting and, and creating work and I haven't done it for so long. And without that pandemic, I would have just still been in the grind of, 
okay, let's do the, the next brand deal and, and all of that sort of stuff and just carried on mm -hmm. doing that sort of work. Um, because at the end of the day, you've got to pay your rent and exactly. that stuff is important. And uh, yeah, and I, I didn't think, I especially didn't think through the, the first couple of months that I was doing, was doing it, that that would become my career. But now you know, my, my full-time career is just making the work that I want to make, which is a, just a complete departure to what I was doing before. So it's been, been really incredible. That's very lucky, man. very lucky to be in that position, but yeah. Well, you speak about luck on your own podcast, don't you? About how you can... Uh, <laughs> oh, it's bullshit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, like you've got to put yourself... Like we, was, we were saying before about running a podcast or doing anything, you've got, to, you've got to start it. You've got to do it. You've got to just get started. And as soon as you do that, you can get on a roll with something. Or not, you know, we've, I've done projects that haven't worked out very well, but at least I started them. Yes. I know that that's something that I'm not that good at or I'm not going to do anymore. I can tick it off because I know that I've done it, I've tried it. I was, I was chatting to Jimmy C the other day on, on one of the podcasts and he kind of started that dripism work that he kind of now sort of owns that space. And at the time, I think there wasn't the volume of street art, urban art at that time. So finding that niche was kind of, I'm not, I'm not going to say it's easy, but now it's such a crowded space to find something new like in 2020 yeah with a spray can it's pretty amazing isn't it it's like yeah so i mean that, yeah i mean obviously all, all of my paintings are in neon pink um now and i and i've i tried the instagram a few a few times like trying to do that sort of thing just just by painting realism and i uh, yeah there, there's so much of of that out there that it, yeah, I was just another voice in a very, very crowded space. And um, the the neon thing I discovered completely by accident in 2018, actually. But then because I was so busy, just sat on the idea. And luckily, I mean, I did one painting. Luckily, no one like saw that and ran with it. Um, was really lucky in that in that sense. But um, but yeah, I mean, I've I learned a lot from sort of the early 2000s when I was painting illegally with a with a sort of a few. Uh, a few guys that I learned so much from that I won't name names, but mm -hmm. but just just sort of the guys that would turn up to the wall and their piece would be twice the size of everyone else's. The guys that would come and rather than painting one thing, they would paint two things. The guys that would turn up and and their piece would be a totally different colour to everyone else. Just like that that standing out. Um, and when I discovered that I could create tone with. And, and I'm a child of the 90s. Like, I love neon. Uh, like, I think yeah. it's fucking cool. Yeah. When I discovered that I could create tone with a tin of neon paint. So obviously, normally, when I paint, if I'm, say, I'm, I'm working in green, I would want my mid-tones, my dark tones, and my light tones, and there would be a whole range of those that mm. I'd paint with. Neon pink comes in one colour. It's neon pink. So as soon as I realised by laying, by underlaying dark or light, as an underpainting, that was how I could create tone with what essentially mm -hmm. is just one flat color. Uh, that was that was the idea I had in in 2018, and then yeah, and then I didn't do anything with it. But when I did have this time over lockdown, that's when I could really explore that idea. And I mean, given that I started painting in 2000, like using a spray can in 2000, it's taken me 18 years to find a unique style. But also, the last two years, I've learned so much about painting just through using a different can because fluoro paint behaves in a very different way to your regular spray paint. And so, yeah, so I'm out there just still learning new things 20 years in, which, um, which I think is fun. And, I, and that's, that's a career and a life is I hope that continually I'll always be 
discovering those new things and, and finding that new sort of stuff. But, um, but yeah, I do think, I do think too, if you're, if you're trying to make an impact, I do think having a style is important and, and standing out is important. And yeah, luckily I'm able to do that by using neon. Definitely stands out, doesn't it? <laughs> you can't fucking miss it. It's, you can't miss it's, it. um, it's actually a shame. I, I feel Love like it. my, my, my paintings are to be experienced in the flesh rather than online because mm. they are basically impossible to take a photo of. Um, so people that have seen my work know that what they see online is is quite different to how it actually looks. Um, cause obviously I say neon pink, I painted neon pink and they look pink in the flesh, but the camera some, for some reason turns them red. It can't cope with how bright it is. And yeah. it, yeah, it sort of, um, changes the, the color on it, but yeah, I, I, I love that. And I, I think, um, it was part of it as well was like, I wanted something that was, I hate all of the bullshit and bravado that goes along with, with a lot of sort of street art and graffiti. And I thought that's not me as a person. I've never been like, I'm not trying to say like I'm a double eyed bastard or, or that I'm going to fight anyone or like have any beefs with anyone or any of that sort of stuff. I was like, neon pink is pretty far away from any of that macho ego bullshit that is so involved in, in what we do and what we love. So, um, and I've even got to the stage where I'm not, I'm not even signing most of my work now. Um, because I think I quite like the fact that you've got to do a bit of homework to work out yeah. who it is that's painting these paintings. Yeah, yeah. It's not a good yeah. business move, but it is like, it is quite fun that, that I, sometimes I meet people and they've been like, I've been seeing your work for the past two years, had no idea who it was. And they've just bumped into me in the street. They're like, can I, like, what's your Instagram? Cause I really like your work. And it's like, I've made them do the, the detective work, which mm -hmm. I quite like. So. Well, there's something about like, I don't know, coming from a graffiti background, isn't there? To kind of have that desire for anonymity in a way, I suppose, isn't there? And maybe also like the work that you do as well. Like you've been doing all of this work around the area, but under the sort of graffiti life banner, it's mm -hmm. not really been you, has it? to a certain extent. And yeah, I suppose now you're so, sort of getting the kudos as a painter that you never really got. Like yeah, I suppose. Uh, yeah, I think that's that's the case with all of the um, all of the commercial painters because they, uh, they're, they're, like for example, uh, Pete the Painter, like just an incredible talent, but there's not like, if he's done something for, uh, I don't know, pick a brand, Nike, mm -hmm. they're not then going, this was painted by X artist, which I think the brands are actually missing a trick by yeah. by not doing that. I think they'd actually get more more sort of goodwill from their clients, from the, uh, from their customers, if they did actually say, oh, like we were working with XYZ artist. But there are such incredible makers that are producing a lot of the commercial work that never, that never do get. But for me, that was fine. I wasn't yeah. really worried because my my goal with graffiti life was I wanted to be painting every day and I wanted to, yeah, create these opportunities for, for my mates. And that was what we were doing. And, and we were, yeah, we were building something that was allowing various different artists to regularly eat and pay their rent, which was, which was great. So it was a lot less about the sort of like, look at this cool shit that we've just done. It's like, no, we're building something here that's, that's actually really useful. And the podcast was a, an offshoot of that. So I did go to university. I don't have any A-levels or anything like that, but um, I was going to be a primary school teacher, as you know. And the only way to become a teacher is obviously to have a degree. So I applied to a bunch of different unis. There was one that said, all right, we'll take you, even though you haven't got any A-levels, because um, I showed them my my street paintings and mm -hmm. they were like, um, so they, they took a chance on me. I didn't learn anything from uni. And while I was working at uni, I was also tattooing. And in the tattoo studio that I was working in, I 
was learning so much more that I gradually started going less and less to uni and more and more to work at, at the studio. And that was my first sort of taste of like, there are more careers in in the world than the five careers that they tell you about in school. So while I was at uni, part of our course was to contact working artists and and, and interview them. I must have contacted like 20 different people and heard back from maybe one. And so I always had in my head like, okay, if a student contacts me, I'm going to get back to them. And so I've got all of these like copy and paste responses because it, like everyone at uni does a project on graffiti. So I get, I get, you probably get those emails oh, all man. the time as well. Daily. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, um, so I would always make an effort to get back to these people. And then it got to the stage where, like you say, it was daily. I was getting emails from people saying, oh, can I interview you? Emails from people going, how did you set up your business? Like what, like, how does this work? People asking like these yeah, very, really valid questions. They weren't getting taught about on an art course or, or in uni, whatever course they were doing. And so we just thought, well, maybe if we put everything that we've learned for the past, like at the time, I think eight or nine years, if we just put that, this out there in podcast form, we could potentially help a bunch of people and I wouldn't have to keep writing these emails. So that was the founding sort of seed of an idea for, for doing our podcast was we've already helped a small circle of artists by giving them jobs every month, but how could we like scale that to, uh, to, to put it out there more? And it's, it's quite interesting. I was um, chatting to a street art photographer recently who was like uh, telling me about a certain street artist who was upset with um, how like my success over the past couple of years, which I found really interesting because I was like, I was like, have you told him about my podcast? Cause like I, I give it all away. Like I, every step of what I've done, I have given away on my podcast. There's no, there's not, I don't have any secrets. It's all online. Mm -hmm. So anything that I've done to have success in my life and career, I've spoken about somewhere. I'm speaking about it now. I've spoken about it on my podcast like every week for the past three years. I was like, so it's all out there. I want people to succeed, man. Like I want people to do, like look at what I'm doing and replicate it. Like, great, man. Like it's, it's actually a really simple formula. Once you once you realise like, okay, I, well, I need to be really disciplined on the days where I don't feel like painting, even though I love it, I've still got to get up and I've got to go and make work because the algorithm is a bastard and I've got to keep feeding it because it's hungry. All of all of those different facets that go into it, but it's, but it's all out there. So I think that's a great reason for having a podcast because we get asked all the time. Now the new question is like, how do I start a podcast? Like, how have you made a crit like a successful podcast and then the answer to that is what we always say to people is start with why because there's so many people that say i want a podcast and then you sort of deeper dig a bit deeper into it it's like well mm. why and it's oh well me and my mates are really funny and we have it's like that's not that's <laughs> not really mates are really funny. <laughs> exactly <laughs> yeah so um so i think when you've got when you've got a core reason for why you're putting a podcast out, then that's when it's going to be really successful. As long as you are, or you, as long as you always have your audience in the back of your head. So there's, there's things that I love having conversations about. So for example, I, I love Japanese pro wrestling. That is the nichiest of the niche, niche, niche. Um, and I would love to talk, talk, like if a guest came on my show and, and said to me like, oh, did you see Tanahashi versus uh, Nakamura, then I would love to talk about their G1 final climax match. And obviously this is all, sounds like Japanese to you. Um, I would love to talk about that. But in the back of my head, yeah. I've got like, is that what the audience is tuning mm -hmm. in for? And although for me, selfishly, I'd love to talk about, and there's a, a range of things I'd love to talk about, 
But I know the people that are listening to my podcast, they're not listening to it for how funny and handsome I am. They're listening to it because they want to get something from it because they they have a notepad sat beside them and they're like, how can I get my jewelry business to the next step? How can I um, I, I make ceramics? Like, what's how how can I market that on Instagram? And that for me, I've always got that in the back of my head. So mm-hmm. when I'm inter- interviewing, say uh, Reggie Yates or or Wilfred Wood or someone like that, I, I I've got in the back of my head like. I know what I want to get out of you. Mm-hmm. I know what I've got to pull out of you. And I need I need you to say something that for some listener that's listening somewhere, it's going to unlock something in their head mm-hmm. and they're going to go, that's what I should be doing. That's what I've been missing all this time. It's like, that's going to, that's going to help me and that's going to grow careers. And then we can start eliminating this myth of the, of the nine to five and doing a job that you hate. And we can actually get some more creative careers on the go because I think, I think it is possible and it's a hard slog and it's difficult. And you know, man, you've been running your business for like, what, 12 years? It's like, it's it's hard. But it, at the end of the day, we wouldn't be doing anything else. No, and I think the, God, pandemic talk again. But, um, but the pandemic showed me that as well, because like over the sort of yeah, 11, 12 years I've been doing it, um, I got further away from doing what I actually started and what I actually loved. And I was creating you know, really meaningful employment for people. And, um, and you know, we were doing a lot of good stuff, but I was, I was getting further away from it and I was getting more and more stressed and it got to a point where it wasn't fun. And now, now going back into it, I love it. And I love, and do you know what I love about it? I love meeting people from all over the world yeah. and I love chatting to people and people think that, you know, our job is just talking to people for, a couple of hours but it's not it's about listening to people and like about getting to interact with human beings that's really and, interesting um, that's probably that's the key missed. to being a good tour guide is actually listening yeah yeah, yeah. i've never thought of that before that's, i yeah, learn that's something really cool. every day i learn something from people all over the world i meet the most fascinating people and also as well it's, it's a privilege because people come to us to kind of have um to just forget about it's like if they go to a stand-up comedy or something. I mean, obviously, I'm not a stand-up comedian, but I'm really fucking funny. But, like, they they, they come to get away from their lives for a yeah. bit. They yeah. come to just be immersed in something else for a while. And um, and that's, that's such so a true. privilege, you know. And, and I realise it's not about, you know, um, running a business. It's about giving people some kind of sense of satisfaction at the end of it. And, and experience and I, and I get satisfaction yeah. from it when they enjoy it and um and yeah I suppose that's where the podcast comes from as well because I sort of say to people when when we're doing experiences and things that we only get to talk about people or institutions or things for a couple of minutes before it gets a bit boring so to actually go in depth with these people and actually properly talk about who they are and what they do is um yeah there's there's a there's a space for that I think for yeah. sure it's the deep dive, isn't it? Because when you're when you're in the street, everything is fast paced, mm-hmm. and you've got a car approaching, and you've got a dog running in front of you, and you've got uh, some drunk guy over here shouting at you, and you've got all of that. And I mean, that's part of why I love painting in the street is that is that energy. Mm. Um, but you can only hit the headlines because then it's on to the next piece and on to the next piece. And and yeah, when we were talking before about you starting this podcast, I think that's. I think it's so lovely that everyone who's been on a tour can now go away and in their own time 
on a commute or or sat on the plane back from London to wherever they live mm. or, or like just in their house or wherever where it's more calm, they can do that that deep dive on the artists that they've seen while they've walked around the streets of London and they can get more of an appreciation by by hearing it from from the creator's own mouth, which is really, yeah, that's a really special thing. And I think it's so important that you mentioned experience there and that's something that we talk about on our podcast all the time is like if people aren't buying your product ever, they're buying how the how the product makes them feel and that's and experience is, is so important. And if you get a tour guide that is dialing it in or it or doesn't want to be there or is going through the motions, that is gonna I mean, you can tell, can't you? I mean that's that's gonna ruin the experience. So yeah. I think I think why I've always resonated with Alternative London is is because of your passion for it. I think that's why Graffiti Life has always worked like hand in hand with Alternative London over the years, like we've passed stuff your way and you've passed stuff our way. Yeah, um, that's been really nice, hasn't it? Because there's not many companies really that um, there's so many sort of competitive forces in this arena, isn't it? It's nice to kind of have people that, you know, we do similar things at points, but we just sort of pass things over and hand it back. And um, yeah, it's a nice sort of synergy, isn't it? It's nice to have that. Well, there's no scarcity mindset. It's not like, oh, we, we must, uh, even though this isn't the thing that we're best at, we must do it because we've got to get the cash in. And a far more sensible business option is give it to the expert who is the best at it rather than trying to do it yourself and doing yeah. a shit job of it. Yeah. And there is, yeah, there is a lot of, of competition, but I suppose it, it comes down to how you want to do business. And for us, it's always been make good relationships with fucking cool people that we like rather than, being a entrepreneur and like grabbing all the pie. It's like, mm. there is enough work for everyone. We can all coexist, but some people don't see that and they just want gra to like grab everything like a greedy little, I don't know, it's, uh, I, I couldn't work like that. It, it makes me uh, anxious. Anxious, like, like literally that's the word. Like I, I yeah, it puts me on edge. I, I feel to work with that sort of ethic is really, oh, ah, just, yeah, I can't, I can't do it. No. Um, yeah, kindness, man. I think uh, I, to to we've we've spoken about this on our show, but but as a as a business, I, I don't want to say tactic because then it sounds like it's not genuine. But genuine kindness is the best business tactic that you can have because people remember, oh that that person is actually really really kind. Like let's work with them, and then they get so like everything is people. All the opportunities that you're going to get in life is going to come from a person. If you treat everyone with kindness and then something falls in their lap that's absolutely huge, you're the first person they call up. And then that's abundance. Like rather than looking for like, what can I, what can I grab? It's like, no, share everything with everyone. And then you like, it's just, it's karma. It's perfect business. Yeah. Yeah. Cause um, especially, well, in our field, but also your, your field, it's, it's changed a lot over the last few years, hasn't it? And there's, um, yeah, it's, um, I suppose with what we do as well, um, I suppose with the tours in a certain, in a certain way, it kind of gets oversaturated and then the, um, yeah, the, the whole field kind of takes a bit of a hit from it, I think. And, mm -hmm. and it's the same in your arena as well, isn't it? Like, yeah. um, you know, people come in without the best intentions and then the whole, the whole arena seems to sort of take it on the chin, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I, I don't think there's much innovative work being made in that space anymore. We're certainly looking at moving and and changing our company and 
taking on a lot less of that sort of brand work because I, I think again, and it's probably pandemic reflections. The the staff that we have don't want to just be replicating an ad because I think before hand painted advertisements were actually really something new and they were exciting. But now, I mean, I, I walked past a Marks and Spencer's ad on the way here. It's not really very groundbreaking anymore. And we want to be groundbreaking. We want to be mm-hmm. doing new, fun and interesting stuff. So yeah. um, so our, our company is definitely moving away from that. I feel like it's only got to that stage through what, what you're talking about there is sort of that aggressive infiltration and focusing on the revenue rather than the creativity, which is, has made sort of a, a really stale space. So I'm quite happy to... Um, to walk away from from doing that stuff. Obviously, I've got my side career as a well, my main career as a as a street artist now, and I'm I'm seeing where that takes me, and I could see that probably being my career for the rest of my life. But I'm I'm certainly walking down that road. But I so I said it's probably way too personal to share on a podcast. But I'm, I don't actually take a wage from Graffiti Life. Like I I earn my money from my neon artwork, and Graffiti Life exists as it was always intended to to support and help creatives and artists. But even though I'm not getting paid for it, it's still very much like I'm there in every meeting. I we're, like we have three meetings a week and I'm at every single one of them and I'm consistently out painting jobs, which I don't get paid for, but I'm, I'm helping the company grow because it's important for me that this company does grow. We've got uh, Rosie Woods, Sophie Messeg. Uh, we've currently got a, an apprentice who like, you can't really call him an apprentice anymore because he's so good. But we've consistently brought on young painters, trained them up, who've now got amazing careers. That's something that's important to me is, is fostering that that next level of talent. We've given a, a load of work to artists like Curtis Hilton, who I, th- I think is the future of UK street art. I think he's the most talented artist making work out there at the moment. I think he's incredible. So it's important for me that Graffiti Life is still doing fun stuff. And we sat down with the team and they're like, is, is, is this sparking joy to be doing these like repeated, like doing these, these brand ab- advertisements that aren't really that groundbreaking anymore? The universal sort of um, opinion on that is no, not really. So we're looking at other avenues that we can go where, where we're not so like held to having to get that work in every month to pay the studio rent and get keep everyone paid where we can do sort of some more innovative stuff that goes back to those early days where we were starting out and we were just throwing mud against the wall and seeing what sticked and that was a really exciting time to be in a business and um, after 11 years it's time for, to shake that up again and, and see who we are as creatives and what we're capable of because I think it's I think it's a lot if we put our heads together so yeah, I, I'm obviously in that golden space that every artist wants to to be in, but it has taken me 20 years to get to that spot. I, I mean, if you listen to my podcast, you could definitely do it in a lot shorter time because I'll tell you the mistakes that I've made and you don't have to make those because I've already made them for you. I think it's the thing, there's, there's a lot of internet memeage that goes around like failing forward and like oh, I try and fail all the time. Mm-hmm. Like, if you can avoid failing, man, like, avoid it. Like, yeah. like, yes, you will learn something from it. But if you can already learn that without having to do the failure, then I think that's better. So, yeah, obviously, I've made massive failures um, throughout my career. But um, so I just did my first solo show, um, sold everything except for one painting, which I knew as I was painting it, I probably wouldn't sell because it's too huge for a London flat. It's a really big piece. Um, but I, I sold everything, which was that's my year's wages taken care of, care of. So I'm in the, the beautiful position where now I can just create work for the next year without worrying where my rent's coming from. So that's that's great. And I feel 
really happy about that. Um, but I, yeah, I, I think it is such a hard position to get to, but it is doable through hard work. And I think when I first started painting, I was not the best painter in the world. And I'm still not as well. I think that's really important. Like there are a lot of painters who are much better than me that I couldn't hold a candle to, but my Instagram following is higher because I've, it could just be the way that I present my work. So I tried presenting the final finished version on Instagram, tried that a bunch of times. It didn't really work. As soon as I started, because Instagram is polished, it's finished, it's perfect. So I didn't want to see people to see my work halfway through when it looks a bit shit. So it took me a lot to post my first video because I was like, oh, everyone's going to see this time lapse of it starting off crap, but at least it'd be good in the end. As soon as I started posting time lapses, my following just exploded. I mean, I'm, I'm at something like 80,000 and that's grown in the past two years. Absolutely huge. I mean, it took us 10 years to get Graffiti Life up to 50,000 and I've done 80,000 on, on my personal in, in two years. And look at your work. Is it the way that you're presenting it? Because I mean, video does seem to be king. Is there a way that you can pop your phone on a, I, like, I don't have an expensive camera or anything. It's just my phone on a tripod. I think that should be achievable for most people. Get yourself an extra battery pack. That's a lesson I learned. Um, but battery pack, uh, phone and tripod, I mean, not the most expensive kit in the world. Like you should be able to do that for under, under hundred quid. Then film yourself painting maybe that's going to do better than just putting up a static photo. See, that's what seems to have happened for me. Mm. And if you can sort of, yeah, get that that sort of momentum behind you, then the money does seem to follow because people get interested in what you're doing and they want to they have a part, they want to own a part of that. And then, and then I think the other side of that is there's a lot of friends of mine who will never earn money from painting because they don't ever want to, because it's not about that for them. And I love that. And they're happy working their jobs. They've got a job that they quite like and they paint for rest and relaxation on the weekends. I fucking love that. And I, I know, that, so one person, for example, who's like a prolific tube and train painter, doesn't paint walls. And that's what he loves doing. And he would never try and like, he. Uh, I've tried to offer him work in the past. And he's like, fuck off, man. Like, no, definitely not. Because that's, it's not about that for him. But there are a lot of artists out there who would love to be making a living from what they do. And so for me, it's like, I've managed to do it. So I do think it's possible. I started off as not a very good painter. I practiced relentlessly. I got better. I learned little things here and there. Like, for example, like the doodle grid system, like, learn, like seeing Roan do that. I don't think Roan invented it, but he certainly popularized it. Seeing him doing that, trying that myself, realizing, okay, this is a makes my my life much easier in terms of like how I'm going to get the image onto the wall and stuff like that. And then I think so many artists are because they're going hard for the money. That's why it doesn't come. And I wasn't, when I started the neon stuff, it was never about, I was never trying to make profit from it. Um, I was just having fun because I thought the first lockdown, they said it was going to be three months. I thought I'll do this for a couple of months and then we'll be back to normal, back to work. Um, it just happened to drag on for 18 months and then it did become commercially viable but I think people like so for example if you've got on your on your bio on Instagram and it says commissions open that means I can come to you whenever so I say oh I like that guy's work I'll let me but commissions are open so I'll, I'll do it next month when I get paid and then you get paid next month you go, uh, I'll, I'll do it next month and it never happens so can, is there a way where you can say, I do a drop once a month or or sign up to my mailing list and like, you can't get anything now, but I'm going to be doing, so for me, it was like 
no one could have anything up until I did my solo show in September. Then it's like, here's where you can buy it. And then I sold it out and now I'm, I'm sweet. So I think there's maybe a few different sort of psychology things where you can do if you are trying to make money from your art that it's so, it seems so counter, counterintuitive, but being less available actually is, is more, um, is more useful to you. I think one thing that we've touched on a little bit as well is, um, is momentum and consistency. I think from running a business where you paint for a living, um, you're just so consistent and that, and that just, that counts for everything. I think just getting out and just doing it every single day and not really caring about whether it's good or not, but just doing it. I think that's so important isn't it and and with your with your newsfeed as well it's maybe yeah maybe it's the videos and stuff but i think it's the consistency mm. i think it's just being there all the time yeah i think that that definitely that definitely helps i i always think of a stand-up comedian i think it's the perfect analogy for any sort of creative endeavor is everyone sucks when they start and they get up on stage like i mean how terrifying they stand up on stage and they eat shit consistently for about a year or two years and gradually, bit by bit, incrementally, they get better. But it's that repetition. It's putting the the reps in. It's it's getting over that fear of failure. It's getting over. And I mean, if you've bombed enough times, then you just get up in there, there and you're just like, well, here we go again. And it doesn't, then it loses its sensitivity over that amount of time. I think that's the perfect, just place that into any creative career. It's like, stand up, do the thing, suck at it for an immense amount of time get incrementally gradually better people start to pay attention to you you make them laugh or you make them interested or you make them care about you in in some sort of way and then they're with you i think your day one fans and supporters are so valuable because they're the people that get proved right in the end and people loved being proved right yeah. and they love going oh, i followed him when he when no one knew of him um and i think that's that's so many people are trying to get a new audience and they're not catering to the one that they already have. Um, and so everything that I make, I got shared by Lad Bible recently, which obviously like ex exploded my um, my feed because I am obviously such a lad. Um, <laughs> it's a very great synergy between our brands, but um, I got shared by them. And then I have this, this massive panic of, you get all of these new faces and I'm like, you guys don't know me. And especially if you found me on Lab Bible, maybe you're expecting something that this is not. And then I have uh, a, a slow sort of continual education process of this is who I am and this is what I'm about. And these are the things that I care about. And I think kindness is cool. And I think like all of the stuff that I care about, I'll, I have to put that out there consistently because there's always these new eyes on it. I've forgotten what the question was now. So I've gone consistency completely. consistency i think is, is one of the hardest things and self-discipline is i think people expect to if they've so say you're writing a novel and you've never written a novel before i think people expect to get up and they're going to write a chapter a day or whatever it might be and it doesn't work like that you've got to do a sentence the first day two sentences the next day and it's a gradual to get consistency you have to gradually build it up and so much of it is self-discipline. So much of it is habit building. Um, my favorite thing that I learned about habits, um, I think it might've been from a guest on the show. It might've been a book I've read, but I heard that the best way to do a habit is you never miss twice. So if you're trying to go to the gym and you miss Monday, you make sure you definitely go on Tuesday. 
Because as soon as you've missed Tuesday, then that's when you're like, oh, well, I've fucked it now. Because mm -hmm. if you go on Monday, oh, I fucked it now, then you won't go on Tuesday. But if you're forgiving on yourself about that Monday and you go, okay, we missed Monday. We stayed under the covers when we shouldn't have done. We should have actually got out of bed, but we're not going to miss Tuesday. And I do that with my painting. It's like, okay, sometimes I'll wake up and I'll be like, I was supposed to be in the studio an hour ago and I've, I haven't seen my wife for fucking ever and I'm hungry and Netflix is on and all, all of the comforts and things that are actually really beautiful that we want to we wanna be immersed in. And so I'll go, okay, take today, that's fine. But then I'll make sure Tuesday I'm up at five and I'm going to go and I'm going to do the thing. Yeah. I think... Um James Clear Atomic Habits yes. was one of the biggest um, revelations in my life in the last couple of years, for sure. Especially um, being in that, you know, lockdown mode, not being able to work, having having to rely on your habits to get you through. Yeah. Having to rely on, like, what gets you up every day, what motivates you. 100%. And, um, yeah, that's uh, that's been a really big one for me because you, you become what your what your habits are basically don't you 100 percent. yeah yeah you are you are how you spend your time mm -hmm. the podcast for you that's been like it's been massive hasn't it it's been like a really not just like the success of like the listenership and stuff but i think it's become quite a big part of your life hasn't it yeah it's a huge part of my life i think that i think that one of the reasons that i was able to make the painting so successful over the past 18 months is because i talk about how to do a successful creative career every single week. So I'm going over the principles over and over again. And then I'm talking to someone who I've never met before, who is then saying, yeah, that's what I did. And that's what made me really successful. And I think, for, so to reaffirm that for yourself every week is really, really valuable. And then to get DMs from people, especially now that we've been going three years. So people that have been listening since day one, if they've been consistently going and doing the stuff that we've been talking about, like three years is a really magic number. Like by this point, they're actually starting to see some success. So you're getting DMs from people. Like we've always had DMs from people saying like, literally this podcast is changing my life and I've done this and I've started my new business and I've done X, Y, Z. But now that we're three years in, we're getting people going, I sent you that message three years ago when I first started this now I've just hit 10K on Instagram and I've got regular orders. And and it's just like getting those DMs from people and they're like, thank you because you've done this. And I'm like, dude, we didn't do anything. We're like, we were just the catalyst. Like you just listened to us and then you put in the hard work and you went you went to town every day and you did the thing. And that's that's what I love is, is just being a small part of... I love that there's thousands of people who I will never hear of, that will never drop me a DM that will never email us that like, but we started there. We were like the lead domino that started their career that, that made them realize, okay, what I'm doing currently doesn't bring me joy. I love painting watercolors. I'm going to go and see where that takes me. And maybe then through doing time-lapse recordings of their, of their watercolors, they then fall in love with filming it. And then maybe they become an editor. And do you know what I mean? It's, but as soon because they made that first start, that's what took them on the journey of doing something different, doing something creative. And for me, getting those DMs because of talking into microphone once a week, I mean, that's easy for me. Like that's that, that's not much effort on my on my end. I just get to turn up to work once a week, talk for an hour, 
and then release it into the ether. And that's helping people in a positive way to do something to change their life. I love that. I love yeah, that's that. That's amazing, isn't it? What a feeling. Um, and you've got to be brave enough to be shit at something as well. Yeah. It takes <laughs> a lot of bravery these days as well with social media, with, like you say, everything being quite polished. It takes, it does take bravery to, to suck at something. It really does. Yeah. And I, I, like when we started, I hate my voice and, oh, and I, I'll listen back to episodes and be like, oh, I shouldn't have said that. Or I should have, I should have let that breathe a little bit more. Or I shouldn't have interrupted the fucking guest or all of the mistakes that I make. And, and I, I see them and, and I hope I'm getting better. And people do say now that the show is completely different than what it was three years ago. And maybe at some point I should go back and listen to early episodes, but I just can't, I can't bear to do it. I, for me, it's like, I've got a little saying that's published is better than perfect. Mm. And so I will record, I'll enjoy it. I'll take some notes if the guest has said something really poignant, because I want to sort of wrap it into my, my daily habits or routines or, or, or techniques that I use uh, and I'll write it down to make sure that I remember it and then I'll move on and I don't I don't listen back I just release it out into the ether and and I and I kind of feel like I'll know in the moment oh, I shouldn't have said that but then I think if it was the worst thing ever then we'll get dms about it and so far we've never I, I think we've We've got one negative iTunes review from someone who I swear all the time. I can't help it. I drop. I just swear all the time because I get fucking ramped up. I just, I just, do that. <laughs> yeah, I just get so. really like, excited and um, and I'll, and I'll start swearing. I had uh, one person that uh, that complained about uh, you totally ruined this interview with your potty mouth or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, Fuck them. But um, but yeah. So um, but I, I yeah. It's it's. I think there's there's a lot of memes about, and obviously myself and Adam both being straight white males, there's a lot of uh, memes about sort of a, a mediocre white man doing, like thinking that they're invincible and can and take on the world. And I'm, my girlfriend frequently like uh, brings up that, that meme and I think it is really funny. Um, and obviously there are a lot of people that look more like me that do have podcasts. However, I do think, although it is, although there are a lot of people with podcasts, I think the space, when you look at the actual numbers, there is massive growth in that space that, that and there's a massive area for, for new podcasts. I think that if you have a solid why behind the reason why you're making a show and you have a message or, or something that you want to change in the world, then a podcast is such a valuable way of doing it because... I have learned so much from from listening to Gary Vee, listening to Impact Theory, listening to um, uh, like all like all of the various like cre uh, Creative Boom is a great one. Like all of the great podcasts that are out there, listening to those has like fundamentally changed and helped my career. So being a small part of that, even if it's only being the catalyst that gets people into podcasting, where they go and either start their own or start listening to others. That's that's great and valuable, and I think that it's. Um, I was thinking the other day, how fucking mental is it that having a pirate radio station used to be illegal? Mm. That blows my fucking mind. Like they made it illegal for us to have because they wanted the money and the like gatekeepers and ownership. And when you, if you look look back at the how backwards and ridiculous that is, where because now every single person has the ability to be their own radio station. And if you've got a great message, then be a radio station. I think that's fucking awesome. It's amazing, isn't it? It's such a great platform. It's such a great tool to have as well for people. But yeah, having said that, I mean, talking about pirate radio being illegal, we were talking 
earlier we just sort of touched on how um, in London, in Shoreditch especially, I never thought we would go um, back to a day when there is more graffiti than there has ever been. So we've got these kind of two ends of the spectrum. We've got this like totally acceptable brand advertising mural painting, but then we've still got 22 months in prison yeah. for writing your name, like changing the color of a surface. Yeah. So if a brand writes their name on a wall, they pay thousands of pounds yeah. for that to be there. But if an individual writes their name on the wall, they can go to prison for 22 months and sit in a cell. And, and that is just this crazy reflection of our society, really, isn't it? Yeah. Yes. Like where, where, where power sits, isn't it? It's absolutely bullshit, isn't it? Crazy. Yeah, yeah and I, I mean, obviously I'm, I'm very involved in the um, commercial side of, uh, of street art, but I totally do understand the sort of purists that are, are very much against it um, because at the end of the day, yeah, it's it's like you said about um, creating meaningful careers. That's that was something that that we were trying to do. And knowing that you can take a brand's money, and uh, I, I like to call it like taking bad money and turning it good. Um, knowing that you can do that, I think, is a really valuable thing. Um, I mean, we but, do the same. Like we do exactly the same. Like, and and I think that yeah, some people um, take issue with us, you know, doing corporate activities and stuff like that. But if we can show those people that you know when when we're doing those corporate activities we're not preaching to the choir we're not talking to people that have actively come and booked an activity with us we're talking to someone that hasn't booked it they're yeah. just turning up yeah and yeah we're taking their money and doing something good with it we're paying yeah. an artist so yeah exactly and yeah i don't think there's anything wrong exactly with and I, getting paid i to want artists to be able to eat man like oh, yeah exactly. always i always have and and if that's a, a chance for them to pay their rent that month then fucking brilliant um mm. but but yeah but the hypocrisy and and the the analogy with the pirate radio is such a is such a perfect example of that duality there but there yeah there does seem to be a real sort of resurgence in the graffiti scene and although that's not something that i would say i'm part of at all I, like i don't i don't see myself as a graffiti artist um but i do have a tremendous amount of respect for it and i would always rather see a mark on a wall than not. So I, I think quite often if someone comes up to me in the street, they're like, they're like, oh, I've, I really like the kind of stuff you do, but I don't like all the, the mess and the tags and stuff. And I, I, for me, it's like, that's someone like experimenting. That's someone on the beginning of their journey. That's someone like, that's someone doing something. That's someone like not, that's something, someone wanting to be noticed, wanting to say something like declaring that they exist. Like that's, um, and to see a beautiful hand style, to see something that someone's like practiced and crafted, like I have a huge amount of respect for that. So whilst it's not a sort of genre that I would say I'm part of, although I do use a spray can to make my work, um, it's something that I have tremendous respect for. And without without all of the graffiti artists that have paved the way, then I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing. So I've, yeah, I've always had a huge amount of respect for it. Yeah, for sure. Um, what's your feelings on like... Because you've been in in the area for a long time as, as well now, haven't you? Yeah. You run businesses in the area. You're you're part of it. You're a part of the community, and um, it's changing so rapidly, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's a shame, really. I think. Um, yeah, I mean, so I've been coming to East London for like maybe fifteen years, and then I've been living up here for ten. And 
the the area has changed so rapidly and it's it's a shame that the artists who built the area are the ones being squeezed out but i, I that just seems to be the the cycle of gentrification is affordable studio space we come in we make the area look fucking beautiful people want to visit it Pret goes, that's cool. Let's open a coffee shop there. Or oh, 13 and, now. 13 <laughs> in a square mile. <laughs> uh, Pret go, let's go and open 13 <laughs> coffee shops. And then and then here we are. Um, but what can you do? I mean, we we still have to make our work. And, and um, uh, it's it's quite funny, actually, that, that sort of artists will don't live here anymore, but will still visit the area to paint because they know that that's where they have the, the biggest chance of exposure. Um so it's it, it makes sense for them to to be consistently coming to East London, but yeah, it's it's changed massively. But then having said that, I mean, I painted in the streets throughout lockdown, and the people that I met were so lovely. Like I had so many just meaningful conversations with people. Lots of people with American accents that have moved to the area recently, um, and just. They love it, man. They love the energy and they're like, oh my God, Shoreditch. And like, it's, it, yeah, it's, um, so although there is a lot of, uh, a lot of gentrification, I have met some amazing people. And, and I suppose that's one of the things that I love about street painting is that the conversations that you have, it's like you'll quickly start to recognize the homeless community. And there's certain members of that community who always see me, who know me by name, who will come up and have a chat with me. And, Sometimes those are gibberish, but sometimes they are some of the coolest conversations that I've had. And then you get someone who's on their way to Liverpool Street that's a city boy that's suited and booted. And then you get all of the the Essex uh, invasion and you have a chat with them. And it's like, it's people, man. It's people from all over. And it just seems to be that is the natural kind of life cycle of a city. And we can resist it as much as we want, but I think it is inevitable that if there are artists in an area, they're going to change it. They're going to make it trendy. And eventually it, that, it comes with its trappings. And I don't think there's much that we can do to, to fight that. And because we've got to keep making our work, we've got to keep making our work. I think just because uh, just because it's placed geographically as well, bordering on the city of London, it's, um, it's kind of always been doomed to kind of get swallowed up in, in some sense. But there's still, mm. like you say, with the you know, the sense of community, there is still that underlying there, isn't there? There's still a community here. And, oh, and so much. And I, I always said that, you know, I started the tours for something to do after work during the week. Yeah. <laughs> never never meant it to kind of be what it is in a lot of ways. Uh, and I always kind of said that once it, once the area is sort of gone, or the community's gone, then I'll just do something else. But yeah, it, it's still there. And it's still, there's still something about the place, isn't there? Yeah. Yeah. And um, even though it changes and it ebbs and flows and new people come in, you know, like you say, people come in that are excited about it. Yeah. And they've never been to an area like this before. Yeah. And there's still so much going on here that, you know, you, you go to other parts of the world and you come back and you're like, God, this is magic. Yeah. This is fucking magic here. We're so lucky. And I think one of the important things, and I know, I know it's it, it's something that you guys do on your tours is paying homage to the history of the area and talking about like if it weren't for the Bengali community coming here in the 1970s and and strengthening East London then it it wouldn't exist as it does today and and just realizing that 
I, I've been here for 10 years. Like, it's like, like a blink of an eye. Do you know what I mean? It's like we're standing on the shoulder of giants. What's been built in this area has been built on the backs of, of so many different communities' hard work. And I love living in just one of the most diverse areas that you could possibly be in because then you're open to new ideas and you're open to to new ways of life and new ways of seeing things. And I think that's really important. And I I would hate to be in a in a city where that didn't happen. And then I suppose that's the argument against gentrification is is if certain communities that aren't in a wage bracket can still afford to be here. Um, but I do think that in East London, I mean, I, I don't know much about the, the sort of politics of it, but I do feel like we are still a rich and diverse community. And although there are maybe not opportunities with all the new bills that are going up there's not op opportunities for um certain communities to move in i do feel like i don't i mean, I mean maybe you would disagree but I, d I don't feel like the existing communities are being pushed out at least i hope not i think the the disparity is is growing and the gap between rich and poor is is not being closed quite the opposite and that's something we have to kind of be mindful of moving forward but I kind of think that since the pandemic, I think that the rate of change feels like it's slowing. Every time you think something's going in a in a direction here, it just shoots off somewhere else <laughs> yeah. and something else happens. And yeah, I think we're living in a, a really um, important time historically here. Yeah, You can feel it. You can feel like we're sort of living in this... Um, this exciting moment where things might not always be going your way or how you want it to go, but it, you feel like it's important. Yeah. And yeah, um, yeah that, that's, um, yeah, I don't know how much longer we'll be here. Um, I think yeah, so. Same. We have a, we have a studio on Ebor street opposite Shoreditch house. And, um, we have been told by a landlord that it's going to, it's going to be developed. It's going to be knocked down. Um, and we're sort of just on notice. It's like, okay, you can be here for now, but at some point we're going to tell you, you've got to fuck off and that's, that's it. Um, and that's, that's a kind of a scary situation to be in because I don't, I don't think we'll be able to afford rent in this area once that, once that does happen. Um, so we'll probably have to move out, uh, and go to a different space. Um, but I don't know, we'll, we'll deal with that when it happens. Um, I think, yeah, it's, it's, and there, and there are so many amazing, other amazing creative communities. I, I think what's going on in um, Putney is really interesting. Um, I think Peckham is, is a really interesting level, a level. Wow, that's a very subliminal Peckham levels. Um, I think that's a, a very interesting place to be. Um, Dawson and Hackney, obviously for the last few years have been, have been really sort of growing and, and interesting places to be. So um, Bermondsey, like there's there's loads of different places that are doing fun stuff, and because that's just that's just people, and I think, and especially after a pandemic where everyone's realised, I don't want to work where I work, and I want to do something creative. Like all those people are going to different places, and they're starting clubs and doing talks and and spreading messages and getting people interested in what they're doing and forming little communities around themselves, and and as that happens, because really now we've got the internet, like you can be anywhere. You can be making creative shit anywhere and you'll, you'll, you'll find your, to quote Seth Godin, my, uh, my favorite ever podcast guest, like you can, you can build a tribe around you and that's what, that's what people are doing. And really, if we all do get pushed out of the gentrification, with the gentrification, like we'll, we'll find somewhere else and we'll put it online and, and we'll get our ideas out there. We, we don't have to set up a mast on top of a tower block and, and, 
like set up a dodgy FM like pirate radio station anymore. We don't have to do that and risk being arrested. We can just we've got a supercomputer in our pocket. It's brilliant. It's, it's best, amazing. Best time it? to be alive. Yeah, it is, isn't it? Yeah. Um, glad you didn't become a primary school teacher then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So am I. I mean, I I still do a, a lot of work with kids. Um, I. I, I think it's important. I feel like it's my kind of duty to to pay back and give back and and not be a gatekeeper and all of that sort of stuff. Um, but when I, I worked in a school for a year and I felt very handcuffed in that in that system, I, I felt like, especially looking at my colleagues working there, that that their goal was to just help the children and they had so much other shit to worry about that really teaching the second the the that really teaching the children came secondary to paperwork. And I know that I wouldn't deal well with that um, and being in that space. So um, I feel I can actually do more with my podcast than I was ever able to do in front of a class of 30 people. I literally, there's thousands of people that listen every week and and I can help a lot more people than I could as a primary school teacher. So yeah, I, I think you're right. I think I made the right, right decision there. That's not to say that I do not respect to the to the moon the the actual teachers because those guys are absolute heroes and and they are stronger stronger characters than i am because i think that's that i mean working there or working the nhs like i mean those are when they say heroes i mean we are obviously consistently fucked over by our government and those those people who should be getting the best treatment are are consistently the ones that do the worst and and this is just me thinking in real time isn't it isn't it funny it's because it's because they have that will to help people, that's what's being exploited. Yeah. And it's because they want to go to work every day to make a positive impact on people. That's why the corporate overlords can go, we're not going to pay you to do that because that's what's in your heart. Uh, and that's fucking wrong. But uh, but yeah, I, I didn't go the primary school teacher route. Um, but yeah, God bless anyone listening to this that does that job. You are, you are amazing. Yeah, true. Mate, it's been absolutely brilliant talking to you, you know. Um, thanks for getting the podcast off the ground. <laughs> Again, it's all you, mate. This is the thing. It's, it's you. You took the action, and we could have had a. I think we we ended up talking for about half an hour in the street, didn't we, about it? But um, that could have just been a conversation that disappeared off into the ether, and you never took any action. So, um, so I, I think you'll make a great success of it. And uh, I urge anyone, if this is the first episode that you're listening to, go and listen to the the other episodes that Gary's got out there. I've listened to a couple; they are amazing. Um, you're going to learn something. You're going to get fresh insights. You're going to be hearing from people that that you don't get the chance to talk to. I mean, the 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 brilliant thing about you is you've got this access to people that don't talk a lot, that will, are not keen to do interviews with in many, very many spaces. So this is an exclusive place where you're going to get to listen to some of your favourite creatives and you don't get that anywhere else. So I would urge everyone go and uh, listen, binge as much as you can of this uh, of this show. Thanks so much, mate. Thank you. Nice one. So that's it from the Alternative London podcast with David Speed. I hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as I enjoyed making it. Um, there'll be more info about David and his Instagram and his website over on the link in the description of this podcast. And do check out his amazing podcast, Creative Rebels, if you haven't already. This was the Alternative London podcast with me, Gary Means. Thanks to Stuart Ballingall for editing and the Glasshouse for the studio space. We'll see you next time. Next time.